You are listening to the Ridgewood Church Podcast on a sermon series that will take us through the Gospel of John, entitled, Learning Jesus. The crowds, they were, they were loud. They were cheering, thousands of them. They finally had a future. They, they finally found their guy. This would be the one, the leader that we've been waiting for. This would be the one that would lead us to freedom. It's so obvious, isn't it? And they looked at each other and said, finally, we have him. That's all, of course, except for the one that they were drooling over. He was was thinking differently. He was thinking spiritually. He knew he could help them. There's no doubt about that. But he didn't want to acquiesce to their vision because their vision was temporal and not eternal. You see, Jesus is building a spiritual kingdom. Jesus is about things of the heart, things of the soul. And he's using his power. He's using His incredible love and compassion to build within us an openness to have Him lead us to new places, to feed, to worship. Because it's so easy for us to get caught up in the the temporal, to see Jesus as this kind of catch-all companion that's always there when we need Him. But today I want you to think deeper, to think spiritually. And I want to call you and invite you to avoid the trap of seeing all of the temporal things around us as something that will feed you permanently. You, You can't be fed by materialism. You can't be fed eternally by relationships. They're always going to let you down. Substances work for a while, but They run their course. I want to call you this morning to the one place that will never leave you hungry. I want to call you into the arms of Christ. I want to invite you to the person that will feed you forever. And so let's take our Bibles and let's get on this journey together of finding out what Jesus has for us. Would you please turn, if you would, to John 6 beginning in verse 1. John 6, beginning in verse 1, and you'll find this on page number 891. And if you want to take your Ridgewood app, you can download that as well, and you can just follow along in the study notes. Just tap media, study notes, and then today's date, and you'll see the content and the the scripture there. So 891 in the Bibles in the rack in front of you, John 6, 1 through 15. This is the fourth sign now that Jesus has done. We started, of course, in the series in John, learning Jesus by talking about origins. Jesus was there at the beginning. He was the creator of all things. He has no beginning and no end. He is eternal, the Son of God. We saw the beginning of his ministry. And now we are in a section seeing the signs that Jesus did. And the reason he did these signs was to prove that he is Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. 
And so he turned water into wine in Cana. He healed that royal official's son from 25 miles away. And last week, Neil did a fantastic job taking you into this pool that swirled and the man that couldn't get in. And Jesus walked in and healed him, though he had been lame for life. And now he had new life. And this morning we see the next sign. Jesus is going to do a miracle of feeding a crowd. And that crowd, if they would just believe in Jesus, would be satisfied forever. So here's the context. It's Passover time. The people are thinking about the Old Testament. They're thinking about how God fed Israel in the desert with manna. They're thinking about how Moses led that. And they want another Moses. They want a prophet to lead them. But ironically, the same person, the I am, Yahweh, Jesus, will feed them again. But this time with fish and bread. So let's begin in verse 1 of John 6. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Verse 8. Well, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in this place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number, and they counted men in that culture. Probably about 20,000 were there. Verse 11, Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the sign that Jesus did to prove that he is Messiah, the Son of God. And if you look at the very first two words here in verse 1, after this, this is a transition in a chronological timeline. It has been six months since Herod had killed John the Baptist. It was about a year until the Lord would be crucified. And here he is with this massive crowd on the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias, named after a town that was built by Herod. And so the traditional site for this event is called Tabga, which is the, where the church of the primacy of Peter 
is on the Sea of Galilee. This is the sea here, and you can see they've carved a little bit of an area out here, but it must have been an extensive area, probably looking down right onto the water. Here's the church right here. And so as you come to this area, you see people just kind of meditating, taking pictures. And over here, there's a garden where people can pray and groups can gather. But you can get a little bit of a sense that this is a beautiful, wonderful place. And, and here they were, but there was a problem. They were hungry. And there was too many of them to eat. And they just expected Jesus to help them because they had seen him do all of these signs and wonders. But they didn't know that Jesus was one that could feed them forever. And so he had to test them. And the idea here is to elicit belief. And he first had to go to his disciples and elicit belief. And so the first point I want to make this morning is when you're on this journey to be fed forever, you need to expect to be tested. Expect God to put things in front of you that you're not expecting so that he can grow your faith. Verses 4 through 7 here feature a question that Jesus asked in order to push Philip, the disciple, he was the natural person to go gather food. He was from Bethsaida, which is just down the road. So he would have known all of the places to buy food. And he asked him a question and gave him an impossible task, at least humanly speaking. Look at 4 through 7. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread? so that these people may eat. He said this to test him, for he knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii, that would not be enough, even to have a little. What, what Philip was reading here is that this was impossible. This couldn't be done. He was looking at things through a temporal lens. But as we look at Scripture, we see over and over again that God tests those that he has plans for that are submitted to him in order to grow their faith and ready them for their mission. Think of Job, I think of David, I think of Paul, I think of Mary. The list goes on and on. God puts impossible scenarios in front of us so that the only person that can possibly help is God. He takes us down to the bare minimum and says, you've got to depend on me. And this was indeed impossible. 20,000 men, women, and children, by Philip's estimate, estimation, way too expensive to feed. 200 denarii was about eight months' pay. The disciples didn't have that kind of money. But Philip was like the rest of the crowd. He's thinking in human terms, and somehow it didn't seem to connect that he's talking to the same person that turned water into wine and that he'd seen heal. And he's saying, we don't have enough. And Jesus must have been so patient, just going, oh man, come on. Haven't you been watching? But he's testing in order not to be mean and not to be cruel, but to bring faith he needed to grow his faith. And sometimes testing can be severe, and sometimes it can be really, really hard. And this is what 1 Peter says about testing. In this you rejoice, 
Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Testing can be intense. Testing can be hard. The testing is what grows faith. And that's exactly what he's doing here with his disciples. He's growing their trust. This was humanly impossible. Jesus knew it wasn't. And so what did they have to work with? Not much. But here's the second point I want to make, is that you will be tested, but the great thing about this journey toward being fed forever is that you just bring whatever you have. Just bring whatever you have. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be, to look like a Christian or even know where the books in the Bible are. Just bring what you have. And Jesus will do the rest. And it has, Jesus is talking to Philip, Andrew then, takes the initiative and he goes out and he starts to scout and he starts to, to, to see what kind of resources are out there. And he too came to the conclusion that this just isn't going to work. Look at 8 and 9 again. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? It's almost as if you could see him bringing it and going, you know, I, I don't, I'm kind of embarrassed to even show this to you, but this is what I found. He, he just couldn't see past the circumstances that he was looking at. And how many times in your life have you said to yourself, I can't do this anymore? How many times have you called on God and said, I'm at the end of my rope, I have to have some help? Because the scenario that you were facing was so overwhelming and your life had gotten to a point where you've said, I just can't take another step. And maybe some of you are there this morning. But let me just tell you, that's when God does His best work. He, Jesus had really nothing to work with. He had two pickled fish that would have been really small, more like appetizers than a meal. He had five barley loaves that were cheapest bread you could buy. It'd be like, honestly... It'd be like going to Target Field with a couple of sunfish and five pieces of toast and looking at a crowd of 20,000 and saying, we need to feed these people with this. But Jesus wasn't even faced with this. When we, when we are at a point, when we call upon God, unfortunately, it a lot of times comes after we've tried everything, instead of just saying at the beginning, wow, like I know you're going to have to take this, then that's when God begins to work. And that's what was happening here with the disciples. They were beginning to learn that Jesus could do anything. Nothing here phased Jesus. They were bringing to him something that would never work. Listen, 
all Jesus really wants is you. He doesn't want your Christianese. He doesn't need all of your Christian upbringing and all of that fancy Christian stuff that you do. He just wants you. And when you come to him, he's promised that he will feed you forever. So I'm just inviting you this morning to come to the feet of the good shepherd and lay yourself down before him and let his grace envelop you. Let his power intercede for you where you where you are weak. Listen. It's okay to be weak. Because that's when Jesus is strong in our lives. He can then take this lack of sustenance that you feel like you have and you're burned out and you got nothing left to give and he can feed you and he can give you the nutrients that you need to thrive. So I'm inviting you to him this morning because he's inviting all of us to come to him. That's what he's doing here in the midst of all of these people. What he's really saying is, let me feed you. Jesus wants to feed you spiritually. He's concerned about your soul. He's not like the world. You're not just an object to him. He wants to do work inside of you that's lasting work. And so here now, Jesus gets to work. And in an organized fashion, he begins to get these people in order. And here's the next point I want to make. Sure, you're going to be tested. Sure, you don't have to bring much. But what you do need to do is you need to submit to the Lord's plan. And you have to relinquish your own. And this is hard because I'm not saying you shouldn't have dreams and goals in life, but you have to relinquish them to what God really has for you because he may or may not want you to go there. And this is what Jesus is doing. Look what Jesus does here in 10 and 11. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. You see, Jesus had a plan. This is very much reminiscent of a psalm where the shepherd is leading his flock to to green pastures. He has them sit down in in green grass. So we also know what time of year it is. It's spring because in the summer this would be scorched earth. But Mark tells us in a parallel passage that they got them in groups of 100 and groups of 50s and then the miracle happened. But first he prayed this Jewish prayer of thanksgiving. It would have been something like this. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who bringest forth bread from the earth. This would have been a common prayer. Jesus was Jewish. He probably prayed a prayer like this, just like we do around our tables. And then he started feeding everyone with the pickled fish and the bad bread. He just started to feed everyone. The miracle happened. And and I think the reason John makes a big deal of how little there is to work with is he's heightening the miracle. He's helping us understand this wasn't some ordinary moment in time. And so it all happened. 
And Jesus is saying to them, listen, I am the bread of life. And in verse 22, he begins the bread of life discourse. He's setting that up. And he's saying, if you come to me, you will never be hungry again. So why do you go get your spiritual food in all of these crazy places when I'm right here? And I can take virtually nothing and turning it, I can turn it into a beautiful, wonderful, satisfying thing. That's why I'm inviting you this morning to come to the one that can feed you forever. Because that's where you'll thrive. He tested Philip. He tested Andrew. They brought him this paltry plate of food, and he does this amazing miracle. But then what he does, it's really fascinating. He says to them, I want you to go pick up the scraps. And, and here's what he's doing. And here's the next point I want to make, is that if you're on this journey, then allow Jesus to teach you. Be open to teaching. Make part of your devotions in quiet time. Lord, I want to learn something from you. Not just memorizing verses. Not just learning from Spurgeon or learning from Jesus' calling. I want to learn, Jesus, from you. Speak to me. Because that's what he's doing here with his disciples. Look at 11 through 13. He's teaching them about his mission and his power. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. So this seems like a strange request, 20,000 people, and now, hey guys, I want you to go and just clean this up for me. I'm sure they were really thrilled about this part of the story. But here's what's happening. There's 12 baskets. The, the number 12 must mean something because all four gospel writers mention 12 in their parallel passages. And what he's really saying is, he's saying, I want you to see that I'm sufficient to supply all the needs for the 12 tribes of Israel. Hey guys, when you're out there picking up those scraps, will you just remember the abundance of which I fed these people? This is really quite an amazing moment. These people, they wanted Moses again. They wanted a prophet to lead them out of Roman oppression. They, they really weren't interested in, in repentance. They weren't interested in a spiritual savior. It's almost like so many Christians today that want to just, they're not interested in, in what demands Jesus might make of them. They're interested in demanding what they want from Jesus. But what he's saying here is, I want you to understand that I am the one who can feed you abundantly and satisfy you wholly and who can take a little plate of food and feed 20,000 people, not just a little for each one, but to the point where there's all this left over. He's teaching his disciples. He's testing their faith. He's more than a prophet. He's more than a political icon. He's the savior of the world. And so you're confronted with a question when you read this. And I was confronted with this question. When you run into things in your life, 
that aren't exactly the way you planned them to be, there's one of two questions you can ask. Either you can say, Jesus, are you going to give me what I long for? Or the second question would be, Jesus, how can I submit to you in this situation so that you can teach me how to feed off you forever? You see, that's kind of that place where we are making decisions about our future. And when we come to this journey to find out more about Christ, we are going to encounter crisis of faith. And he's going to lead us to places that we don't want to go. But that's how he brings faith out in us. And so we have to ask questions. And we have to come to him and ask these questions honestly. We have to understand, can, can God really handle this thing? God, can you handle this? Because I don't really see how you're going to do this. We, we asked, does God really love me enough to take me through this? And, and do I really believe that it's the best thing for me? Because it's not my thing. I didn't, I didn't write this up in my life goals in college. This isn't where I expect it to be at all. We have to ask ourselves, do I really believe that God has forgiven me to the point where I can move past this thing that I've done and really thrive again in my relationship with Him? Here's what I've learned in my life, is that it's a terribly frightening place to be when God strips everything away from you but Him. It feels like death. Because all of the trappings, all of the things that you've learned to survive on are gone. And there's only one thing left. And he's saying, I'm enough. But you feel so vulnerable and exposed. You feel so hopeless. But I can tell you that he's always faithful. God can handle your stuff. And so I want you to listen to what he's saying to you here. Don't settle for the temporal. Go for the eternal. Because that's what's important. And, and Jesus understood here that there was a temptation to go for the temporal. They had, this was a screaming mob that wanted to make him king, and he had disciples around him that would have liked that attention. And so look what happens in 14 and 15. It shows this kind of tension in how he was going to avoid their advances. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. But see, they weren't thinking about the Savior of the world prophet they wanted. Perceiving then again that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. He wasn't going to be drawn in to this thing because it wasn't his mission. And so here's, here's what I want to tell you. Jesus kept his eyes on the prize. I want you to keep your eyes on Jesus. Your journey is going to be not always a straight line, 
On each side of the road, you're going to have distractions, people screaming for your attention, circumstances, jobs, maybe people that you really shouldn't be dating. They're going to be coming after you. You've got to keep your eyes on Christ. Because in this scenario, the kingdom of Jesus is at, is at hand, and the nature of the kingdom is what we're talking about here. It wasn't a kingdom of the sword in order to win political battles. Jesus' kingdom is not to rule over culture. It's to serve culture. It's to serve people. It's to sacrifice ourselves for others so that we can win them to the spiritual kingdom of Jesus. And Jesus understood that because his kingdom is not of this world. And he understood that the disciples were in real danger here too. So Mark tells us he just put him in a boat and said, you need to leave, go to the other side of the lake. Jesus knows what his role is. Keep in mind what your role is too. 1 Corinthians 9.24 tells us this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. What's the prize? The prize is standing before Christ and having him look at us and say, well done. I mean, think of all the things of this world that can distract us from that moment and think of the importance of that moment. What will we be thinking is really that important when we're standing before Christ? All of the things that we think are so vital in our lives are going to melt away and here we are face to face with the one we love and he's going to say, well done. And he's going to say, to those that are faithful, you can inherit my kingdom. And that's what we need. That's the prize. That's eternal feeding. And, and you've got to keep your eyes trained on the path ahead. It's really important. Don't get distracted. Because the enemy's going to come along and he's going to try to convince you that you know more than God. This was the problem in the garden, right? Hey, hey Eve, like, this is a cool place to live, right? God, God could have done better for you. Don't let him convince you of that. Be content in what he's given you. Don't let Satan convince you that the work of God is for someone else. I know people who say, you know, I can't, I can't do evangelism but I do give a lot of money to people that do no that's no here's what evangelism is ask yourself this question Neil and I were talking about this this week just ask yourself how many spiritual conversations do I have every week because that's a great question it's 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 so loosely defined that you're not responsible for the outcome and so I want to encourage you to have spiritual conversations with people. They will be out there if you just ask. And then here's the thing that Satan's really going to come after you with, and what I want to encourage you to avoid, is he's going to want you to worship yourself. He's going to want you to worship you. You are the most important thing. You deserve more. You deserve the best. I worked hard, so I don't need to be involved with my church six months out of the year. I'm going to play golf instead. I've earned that. 
sure, that's fine. I'm not judging. kind of am, but I'm not really. But what I'm saying to you is this. You can make that choice. You're not sinning. But what I would say is you're missing something if you just check out. And so Satan's going to come along and try to get you distracted. But Jesus is the only one that can satisfy you. So here's the last point. When you're on this journey, just be satisfied in Christ. Be satisfied in Christ. He's the one who can feed you. And his work in your life is breathtaking, and it's beautiful, and it's consistent, and it will never end. Look at what John says, and we're going to get to this passage later in John 10. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Don't you want this? To be in a place that no one can snatch you out of the hand of Christ? Listen, we are a lot like that crowd that was there that day, aren't we? We want the show, man. We want God to be doing things. We want the excitement. We want Jesus to provide. You know, we want to go in the line at McDonald's and pay it forward or pay it back or whatever we're supposed to do as Christians. We like all that. But what Jesus really wants from us, even beyond those levels, is he wants us to come to him and open ourselves to him because he will feed us forever. And so this morning I'm inviting you to never be hungry again. I'm inviting you to find a place where spiritually that longing, that, that desire you have for something more can be quenched by the one who is eternal. That's what I'm calling you to this morning. So will you just take a moment and put, you put your stuff away and just bow your head quietly and just think. Maybe first there's something there's something that Satan has that he's distracting you with. He's shouting at you from the side. He wants you to turn there. He wants you to come to that place. He wants you to want something temporal. What is that? Is there something? Just take a moment and see if God brings something to your mind and then repent of that. Now the second step, I want you to be thinking, if you're in a place this morning where you feel as if you're, you're never going to be able to move forward, maybe it's grief. I mean, Wendy today and I are celebrating, mourning, I don't know what word to use, the six-month, the six-year anniversary of our son's death, and it never goes away. But is there something in your life that has just got you weighed down and you just kind of need to say, I need help. I need help. Let's just take a moment.
And then I just want you to, if you believe this, I want you to say to Jesus in your spirit, I believe that you can feed me forever. Will you draw me to yourself and do whatever it takes to get me there? Oh God, we are so thankful that there's a place we can go to be fed that never goes away, that never dries up, that isn't contingent on our ability to stay with it. It all comes from you. And so I just pray for each person in this room, God, that as we said these prayers, as we talked to you, as we listened for you, that you'll open up new doors of sustenance for us, new ways to relate to you, new ways to find hope in the darkness. And God, will you help us to understand the vital importance of going out into the world and telling people that there is a place that they can go to be fed because they don't know that there is. And they see all of the things of the world as this meal that they have to keep eating and striving for and it keeps slipping through their fingers and their lives are a mess and they're ruined and we have this hope Lord help us to be about that business thank you for who you are in Christ's name amen thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church podcast for more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church visit us at myrwc.org